You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Saints of God and brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is risen. I am recording this episode of Resurrection Life on Good Friday of the year 2022. And so, along with all of God's people throughout the world, I am very much looking forward to Easter Sunday. Uh, We will be all the more uh, full of joy on Sunday uh, after today's remembrances of our Lord's suffering uh, on our behalf. But as I take up the uh, subject of parenting again uh, in this series of Resurrection Life, we are all about discipline for the next few episodes. This is one of the two hands of every parent that I introduced uh, last time from Ephesians chapter 6. That reads, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I just want to note to you that when the Apostle speaks of the discipline, we used the word in the Greek paideia last time, uh, he speaks of the Lord Jesus. Uh, The discipline of the Lord, as the Apostle uses that word Lord, is the Lord Jesus. So bear this in mind as we open up this important subject. We're talking about how parents are to bring their children up in the discipline of Jesus. Now, last time we went to that classic passage, Hebrews chapter 12, and a key verse from that passage that I cited was verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So I put out as a working definition uh, of this paideia of Jesus Uh, The following, uh, discipline is the infliction of temporary pain as a consequence of sin in order to lead children towards the permanent fruit of righteousness of life. So folks, that's what we want to dig further into uh, in this episode and the ones that will follow immediately after. Now, I just want to say at the outset, I get it. This is not the pleasant part of our jobs as parents. Uh, That reference to painful rather than pleasant that Hebrews uh, speaks of, that's not just a description of what it's like to receive discipline, although I think that's the primary point of the author. Uh, It is also the experience of parents who have to administer discipline to their children. I say that from my own experience. I don't blame any of my fellow parents for saying, I... This is the worst part of the job. But listen, please. It's the very unpleasantness of this part of parenting that makes it so neglected by so many, or if not entirely neglected, carried out half-heartedly and inconsistently. So I'm mindful of that as I take up the subject of the discipline of a Christian home and Whenever we're called to do something unpleasant in our service to the Lord, we rightly want to be clear about the good reasons for doing it. 
And the Lord is so very gracious in giving that to us in so many areas of the Christian life, and certainly in this one, in the area of uh, discipline uh, in the hand of Christian parents. Uh, Two of the reasons that God gives us for bringing our children up in the discipline of the Lord have already made an appearance in my introductory comments last time. The command of God and the example of God. Those are two hefty reasons to be sure. Ephesians 6 uh, leaves us with no choice, parents. Uh, The discipline of our children is a matter of obedience, and we're going to see multiple passages that enforce that principle as we continue. It's the command of God. The other that's already made an appearance uh, is the example of God. Hebrews 12 makes it clear that when uh, we discipline our children, we're simply being like our Father in heaven, who out of love disciplines us as his children. There, too, we will see more passages of Scripture that emphasize the example of God. But today's podcast is going to be devoted to a third uh, reason for pursuing this particular part of parenting, and that's the sweet fruit that discipline brings in the lives of children, according to God's Word. Parents who love their children and believe the Bible will find this a very powerful motivation indeed uh, to be devoted to the discipline of their children. Hebrews, uh, once again, speaks of discipline as yielding the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So the question for today is, what is that peaceful fruit of righteousness that parents are rightly seeking for their children? by means of discipline. Another way of saying that is, what are we seeking to achieve? Or even more fundamentally, what is God willing to give through our discipline to us and our children? Having a vision, my brothers and sisters, having a vision for that will be very encouraging to do the hard work involved in faithful discipline. So that's what's ahead if you choose to listen on. Now, there are, by my count, three primary blessed biblical outcomes of faithful parental discipline. Uh, The big three, if you will, and these are uh, the kind of outcomes, the kind of sweet fruit that every Christian parent should want for their children. The first two of these three are going to have three subpoints. So just fair notice, this is probably a double commute podcast, uh, might take more than one uh, listening season, uh, but I have a lot to say on this important subject. Number one, my fellow parents, we discipline our children in order to teach them submission to authority. Now, if that's not what you had in mind when I started talking about sweet fruit, if that's not obviously sweet fruit to you, please, please listen on. I think you'll agree uh, that this is where we begin in talking about sweet fruit. Uh, Moms and dads, standing behind everything you do or everything you must do in the discipline of your children is a commandment of God that was originally written in stone by his own finger, we're told. And I'm referring, of course, uh, to Exodus 20, verse 12. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
Now, you may have thought this is a commandment that applies to your children, and quite obviously so. It obligates your children uh, to recognize and to submit themselves to your authority as parents. Most directly, it applies to your children. But have you ever come to understand that this commandment has profound implications for you as parents? You must acknowledge the authority relationship that God has established between you and your children, just like your children must acknowledge that. You must, furthermore, uphold the authority that you have as parents by God's own uh, ordinance by enforcing submission to that authority in your children. Now, I emphasize this because I think there are many parents that are confused on this point. As if the kind of relationship, the, the tone or the tenor of the relationship they have with their children is uh, entirely up to them. Uh, some parents want very much to be uh, their children's friends, nobly enough. Uh, other parents want uh, to relate to their children more like equals. Well, there can seem, sometimes be uh, good intentions in those sentiments, but at their worst, they can amount to rebellion against God's order for families. Folks, God calls your children to submit to your authority, and he's called you as parents, therefore, to require that submission. Now, what does that look like? What is submission to parental authority? What I'm calling the first of the big three sweet fruits. What does it look like in our children? I think that it can be summed up under the headings of obedience, respect, and readiness to listen. Those are the the three most explicit evidences of a child that is submissive uh, to his mom, to his dad, in their authority. Obedience, very obviously, uh, is the first thing said to children in Ephesians chapter 6. Before Paul speaks to parents in the passage we've been looking at, he speaks to children. And he says in Ephesians 6 verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes from the fifth commandment, verse 2, honor your father and mother, and adds, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Folks, this means that the most fundamental way for a child uh, to fulfill the fifth commandment is to comply with the will of their parents. That's what obedience involves. It involves submitting your will to the will of someone else. And so, conversely, the most fundamental way to dishonor parents is to set yourself against their will. This is the element of submission that's very uh, action-oriented. Either doing or refraining from doing certain things constitutes disobedience or obedience. I'll unpack this statement I'm about to make Uh, as we go forward, but let me simply state it here. Brothers and sisters, the standard in your home for your children as they submit to your authority is to be prompt, cheerful, and full obedience. That is the standard. That's the biblical standard of obedience of children to parents. And 
can I just ask you, envision this in your children, parents. Envision this. Not flawless obedience. Not perfect obedience. But envision this as a pattern in your children. Prompt and cheerful and full obedience. Now that's worth the hard work of discipline. That's the first element of submission authority, obedience. The second is respect. And of course, that's captured in the word honor in the fifth commandment itself. A lot of us would miss this uh, in light of the way our English Bibles are forced to render Hebrew words, but the word in the fifth commandment for honor is a very potent word. It's the word kabod, to make something heavy, to attribute worth to it. And this is what is quite remarkable about this particular word. It's used in other places in the Old Testament for our attitude towards God's towards God himself. Isaiah 24 uses the same word for honor, except it translates it glorify. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. My point here, of course, is not to say that children are to worship their parents. My point is rather to say that the level of respect, the level of honor is profound that God calls children to have towards their parents. And therefore, it's what parents are to be seeking in their children as they use this uh, mode of parenting we call discipline. Folks, we'll return to this as well, but attitudes are everything in a Christian home. And attitudes are rightly the focus of parental discipline. Again, envision this with me. Children who are respectful, not always, not invariably, but as a prevailing and increasing pattern, children who are respectful to you as their parents. That is sweet fruit indeed, worth the hard work of discipline. Submission to authority looks like obedience. It looks like respect. And I have to include a third. Uh, It looks like readiness to listen. Um, Obedience I pulled from Ephesians 6 uh, and the Apostle Paul, and of course respect from Exodus 20 and Moses and uh, God's own word in the fifth commandment. But I am thinking now when I speak of readiness to listen as one of the marks of submission to authority, I'm thinking of the book of Proverbs and the first about eight chapters in particular, which has as this uh, prevailing emphasis uh, the wise son as someone who listens to his father and to his mother. Proverbs 23, verse 22, um, well after the first eight chapters, still continuing the theme, uh, says, listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. So this is straightforward enough. Uh, If God has called Christian parents to teach their children, that's the other hand of Christian parenting that we are saving for a little later to unpack fully. But if God has called Christian parents to teach their children, he certainly called their children to listen to them. They can't honor you while at the same time they're not listening or taking in 
uh, with a humble spirit what you say. And so discipline is also aiming uh, at the heart of a child being receptive to what a parent says. This really is the heart of the matter. This is the long-term fruit uh, of submission to authority. It's having the desire to learn from parents. Children who are truly attentive to your words, you think ahead. Envision this, parents. Uh, If you're not there already, envision your children as teenagers. Having teenagers who are truly receptive to what you say, indeed eager to know what you think and how you would counsel them, uh, that's sweet fruit indeed. And that's worth the hard work of discipline. Now, I'll just say at this point, none of those responses come naturally to our children. They don't naturally obey. They don't naturally respect us as parents. They do not naturally want to listen to what we say. This is so obvious in all of our homes. And here's my point. When our children don't obey, don't respect us, don't listen, well, they need prayer, most fundamentally. They need to be taught that these are the things they must do. But brothers and sisters, as my fellow parents, they need to be disciplined. In other words, there need to be, sorry, there needs to be painful consequences for the refusal to submit to parental authority. That's what discipline is aiming at. Psalm 119, verse 67, speaks of the fruit of divine discipline, God's discipline in our lives, in these ways. The psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Now let me just pause here and acknowledge uh, the society in which we live, as anti-authoritarian as it has become, folks, it has no category for this. Uh, Indulge me for a moment as I illustrate the point that our society is unfriendly to everything that I'm saying just now. When my wife and I were expecting our first child, uh, somehow we became the happy recipients of a publication that just mysteriously appeared in our mailbox, we got on their mailing list somehow, called The American Baby. And as I thumbed through this unsolicited, uh, helpful piece of uh, literature, I ran across an article by a woman named Dr. Wingett, And the title of the article was, No. I'm going to read a few paragraphs of this. Uh, Indulge me. Ask yourself what is wrong with this picture. What is glaringly absent? The first time you hear your child say no, you may be surprised. You may also feel hurt, frustrated, rejected. And if you're like most parents, confused. The sudden appearance of negative behavior in your sweet-tempered, agreeable baby is often difficult to understand. Fortunately, negativity is just a stage that every child goes through, and in most cases it is a sign of healthy development. As babies begin to learn more about themselves and the world around them, they acquire their own preferences 
expectations, and a personal sense of self that needs to be expressed, sometimes by saying no to your questions or instructions. But even when you know that your baby's self-assertion is a positive sign, it can still be tough to deal with. Like other phases, though, this too will pass. In the meantime, here are some coping strategies. All right, you ready for those coping strategies? I will continue reading. From the beginning, most infants who are told no will often ignore their parents and just repeat the prescribed behavior. They're not challenging your authority. They're simply doing an experiment on your limits. Uh, By the way, as I uh, studied logic once upon a time, I learned there was a name for that. That's called a distinction without a difference. That's a fallacy. They're not challenging your authority. They're simply doing an experiment on your limits. Thus, as your one-year-old reaches for the lamp cord and you call out, no, sweetie, don't touch, he is likely as not to smile, turn back to the cord, and grab it. You should redirect your little one by removing him from the temptation and giving him something else to do while repeating the rule, don't touch the lamp cord, it can hurt you. Here is something you can do instead. Eventually, he will accept your intervention and move on to something else. In the meantime, you should remove as many hazards as possible so that baby's exploration can be done safely. You probably won't be able to watch him every second of the day. (laughs) Many a parent has experienced the exasperation of coping with a toddler who says no to just about everything, even to things which she actually wants. Don't forget, baby is just practicing her exciting new ability to express her own desires. Now, what is glaringly absent, my friends, from this uh, not-so-very-helpful word of advice for parents is this subject that I'm opening up today. It is, of course, discipline. And more deeply, what is glaringly omitted in that whole view of the responsibility of parents is this sweet fruit of submission to authority. Let me give a somewhat different assessment of what's going on in the situation that is described in that article. Uh, This is a child who is indeed gaining an exciting new ability to express his or her own desires. But this is also a child who's learning that his will can come into conflict with his parents' will. And he is a child who is plenty old enough to assert what we call the primacy of his own will. What's a parent to do with this early onset clash of wills that happens with every one of our children uh, rather early in their lives? Well, the biblical answer is, listen carefully, a parent is to train that child to recognize that when his will clashes with his parents' will, he has to yield. That yielding to the will of mom or dad, folks, that's what comes about over time through discipline as God blesses. That charming little toddler in the article from the American baby that I just read is in desperate need of faithful discipline. 
When you say to your toddler, no, don't touch, and your toddler smiles and grabs the very thing that you said not to touch, or for that matter, when your child says to you, no, in response to your instructions, he needs discipline. Christian parents, that's what your children need. Those big three things that uh, represent submission to authority. Uh, Discipline is the way to lead your children in those directions. Discipline is God's way to lead your children from disobedience to obedience. When you say, for example, to your son, come here, and he runs away. Or when you say to your child, pick up your toys, and your child refuses. Or when you say to your child, no, to something your child wants, and he or she throws a tantrum. Folks, those are evidences of disobedience, and discipline leads that child from disobedience to obedience. We talked about respect as a sign of submission to authority. When your child talks back to you, when you give instructions, or when your child raises his voice at you as his mom or dad, or when your child rolls his eyes uh, or walks away when you're talking. Um, Discipline is what leads that child from that disrespect to respect. We talked about submission to authority uh, as readiness to listen. When your child will not stop what he's doing when you're talking to him, when your child claims to have forgotten yet again what you told him to do, and it's obvious there was not an earnestness to listen. Discipline is what leads your child from that unwillingness to listen to a readiness to listen. The toddler that's depicted in this article I just read is actually demonstrating a problem every last one of us have. And folks, it's the problem of a desire to be our own boss, not to have to yield to someone else's will. This is fundamental to who we are in our natural state. It's the desire, to use the fancy word, for autonomy. But folks, if a parent with faithful discipline teaches a child about what submission to authority looks like, He becomes God's instrument of grace to meet his most basic spiritual need. He needs to be willing to let someone else be the boss in his life. You know where I'm going now. You know what I'm speaking of. What is the primary obstacle to any sinner's conversion to Christ? Well, it's his will. It's his own desire to do what he wants. And what's the most basic work that God does in conversion, in regeneration unto conversion? Well, it's to renew his will. It's to make his heart ready and willing to yield to him and to want to serve him. And so this is what makes this sweet fruit indeed. Parents can't do God's work, but it is God's pleasure to use us as parents, to do his work in our children's hearts and to cultivate in them the peaceful fruit of submission, ultimately not to mom and dad, but in their submission to mom and dad, 
uh, to bring about that submission to God himself, which will be their lifelong uh, pattern and way of walking. So I have spent the time uh, to open up this first uh, sweet fruit, teaching children the submission, what submission to authority looks like because of how much it is a lifelong lesson that begins in our homes. But let me move on now to talk about a second uh, sweet fruit in the lives of our children that discipline is uh, seeking to bring about with God's blessing, and that is to teach their children about the nature of sin and the need for repentance. Sin and repentance. And Uh, And I might say it this way, in deep and experiential ways, our children come to know uh, of what lies at the very heart of the gospel through our discipline. Let me elaborate on what I mean by that, and I again have three uh, things that I want to say about teaching our children about sin and repentance. Number one, discipline makes clear to our children what sin is. Discipline is a response by parents to children's sin. It's a loving response to that which, if it's left unaddressed in a child's life, is a great threat to his or her own soul. And so, as discipline responds to sin, it becomes for the child who's faithfully disciplined a powerful and experiential lesson about the nature of sin. He learns early on it's a sin for me to disobey my parents or to be disrespectful. It's a sin for me to hit my sister or to say unkind things to her. It's sinful for me to lie. Uh, It's sinful for me to yell in anger and so on. Uh, Discipline teaches our children what sin is. Now, someone might say, that's a very negative view of parenting, constantly pointing out sin. Well, let me just remind you, we're talking about one of the two hands of parenting. It's the discipline and the instruction of Jesus that parents are to have, and we're going to be talking about how instruction of the Lord involves calling our children, presenting to our children uh, the way of freedom, the way of life, uh, the way of holiness, a very positive hand. But folks, let's also be careful lest we try to be wiser than God Uh, If we speak about discipline uh, or uh, teaching our children the nature of sin is too negative. Have you ever thought about the fact that when God sums up everything he wants to see in our lives by way of godliness, he puts that in those Ten Commandments primarily in the negative. He says, thou shalt not. And then he identifies uh, key areas of sin Uh, It's because we're sinners. Naturally, we uh, go in just those very directions, and we need to be very clear about what sin is. And one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children is a clear understanding, a true sense of sin and of their own sin. So the fact of our discipline and the carrying out of our discipline teaches about sin, what it is. It also teaches, uh, secondly, what sin deserves And this is where I want to say, in the world that God has made and that he rules over, uh, sin does have unpleasant consequences. Now, that's not always immediately the case, uh, but it is eventually true, invariably, 
that sin brings misery. The world is full of people that are in denial about this. And as I say, for a time, uh, the wicked of this world can seem to be escaping those consequences, but uh, we as Christians know that a day of great misery is coming for all sinners who are outside of Christ. And folks, here's the opportunity that discipline in a Christian home provides parents with their children. It gives parents the opportunity to instill in our children this awareness of this fact of life, that sin has consequences, that sinners deserve punishment. I hasten to say that parents, in disciplining their children, are never meeting out all that sin deserves. As a matter of fact, no human authority ever does that in an ultimate sense. But uh, the pain and the unpleasantness of discipline for sin does teach this powerful lesson, and that is that sin and sadness are inextricably joined in God's world. Scripture speaks of this at every turn. Parental discipline is a way of enforcing or reinforcing what the Bible teaches about uh, what sin deserves. Ecclesiastes 8 speaks of what happens when sin has no consequences in the society in general. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Faithful discipline in the home is than doing just the opposite of this. It's demonstrating how in God's world sin does deserve punishment. And by the way, punishment is not a bad word in Christian parenting. As long as it's always understood that parental punishment is never the same as judicial punishment, uh, punishment is not a bad word. Uh, Judicial punishment is uh, meeting out what sin deserves Parental punishment is teaching what sin deserves uh, in that temporary pain uh, that is brought into a life of a sinner. I'll just say here, try to come back to this a little later as well down the road. Folks, that's one of the reasons why discipline of our children uh, can and many times should be carried out even after there's already begun some real repentance and sorrow for sin in our children. Uh, It's because there is a purpose to discipline uh, that is alongside of uh, the purpose we're about to talk about, which is gaining repentance for sin. The purpose of discipline is also uh, to train our children in the consequences that uh, come with sin. I just point to David Uh, King David is an example of someone whom um, God is disciplining faithfully. Um, Nathan the prophet confronts him with his sin. David is apparently immediately broken in genuine contrition. But you see in the account of David and what follows from that moment that God still carries out uh, the consequence of his sin, the chastening or the discipline or the punishment of his sin Uh, The son that he had with Bathsheba uh, still dies. So discipline makes clear to children what sin is. It makes clear to our children what sin deserves. But discipline also leads our children to repentance for sin. 
And folks, if this were the only fruit of discipline in the lives of our children, wouldn't you agree this would be enough? Uh, The Bible connects faithful discipline with true repentance for sin. And that repentance for sin is fundamental to that step of turning from sin to Christ that the gospel calls us to. As a matter of fact, Jesus speaks like a father uh, to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, and he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. This is a fundamental goal of God's discipline, of his children. It's a heart that's broken over sin and that turns back to him in genuine repentance. And folks, that's our goal as parents in our discipline. I'll put it to you this way. Every episode of discipline in the home should, in its own right, be a little altar call for your children. Many of you will have experienced altar calls. Uh, In the home, though, well, yes, in this sense. Um, After sin is clearly identified, after the consequences are felt, uh, folks, discipline brings about the opportunity uh, to lead children in asking God for forgiveness and, and receiving that forgiveness uh, as a response to their repentance. There really is, uh, folks, in the Bible, uh, this uh, prevailing, uh, somewhat mysterious connection between pain uh, and sorrow for sin You know this, perhaps. Uh, It's a broader teaching of the Scripture. It's in the ways of God with us as his children. Job 5 says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Folks, do you understand this about God? Do you recognize that he uses pain in our lives uh, to bring good to our souls? That definition that I presented of this paideia or discipline of Jesus uh, is getting at that very thing. Discipline is the infliction of temporary pain as a consequence of sin in order to lead children towards the permanent fruit of righteousness of life. Sometimes the pain that God is willing to inflict uh, is quite profound if the hearts of those that he loves and is seeking to soften are in fact quite hard. An example of that that comes to my mind is the way that he uh, disciplined the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11 speaks of how the Christians in Corinth are profaning the Supper, the Lord's Supper that he had given them as a means of grace. And the apostle says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Do you hear that? Uh, God was disciplining the Corinthians, even in those severe ways of sickness and even death, 
in his providence in order that they might not be condemned along with the world. Uh, His discipline was painful, uh, but it produced good fruit. This is something, my fellow parents, we have to be convinced of if we are going to discipline faithfully. Temporary pain involved in disciplining our children is for the everlasting good of their souls. It brings about that repentance for sin that is what spares our children. Uh, in the words of 1 Corinthians 11, condemnation along with the world. I'll return next time with some practical counsel about how to ensure that discipline is truly devotional. That is to say that the path, uh, or rather the pain of discipline becomes a path uh, back to Jesus and repentance. But for now, I just want to say uh, every episode of our discipline is about calling our children to repentance for their sin and faith in Jesus Christ. That is sweet fruit uh, indeed. So submission to authority, the first of the sweet fruits. Uh, Learning about sin and repentance, being led from sin to repentance, that's the second of the sweet fruit. And then the third sweet fruit that the pursuit of discipline in our homes brings about by God's blessing is that our children are taught the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm drawing in that expression from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, This is one of those places in God's Word uh, that speaks so much to the issue of parenting because Moses is concerned uh, that as he sends the Israelites on into the land of Canaan without him as their leader, uh, they will be forgetful, and particularly they will not teach their children. So in Deuteronomy 4, uh, verse 9, let me just read a few verses. The, uh, The Lord says through his servant Moses, Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, sorry, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, notice, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Fearing the Lord is what he wants for his people, and fearing the Lord is what he wants them to teach their children after them. At the end of Deuteronomy, we read in chapter 31, assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to possess. Now, what is this fear of the Lord? It's a big subject indeed, uh, going far beyond uh, our ability to address. I'll try to remember to put 
uh, in the show notes, uh, a sermon on the subject for anyone who wants to explore it more fully. But suffice it to say, brothers and sisters, this expression, the fear of the Lord, goes to the very heart of what true religion is. Uh, one of my theological heroes, um, <clears throat> John Murray, calls the fear of God the soul of godliness. And it's a fascinating thing in the Bible. This thing we call the fear of the Lord, it's not incompatible with joy in God. Psalm 2 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's not incompatible with joy. I go side by side in our hearts with confidence in God's love. Uh, We see that in Psalm 33, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. But folks, this fear of the Lord does consist in a certain emotion, uh, a certain kind of response uh, to what is the potential danger that is to be found in God himself. Psalm 119, verse 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. The fear of the Lord uh, is due to the fact that our God is a fearful God, a holy God, As C.S. Lewis put it so memorably, our Lord Jesus is not a tame lion. Here's a good definition of the fear of the Lord from my favorite commentator on the book of Proverbs, Charles Bridges. And of course, you remember how much the theme of the fear of the Lord is found in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we're told in Proverbs and Bridges uh, defines this concept of the fear of God this way. He says, It is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. His wrath is so bitter, his love so sweet, that hence springs an earnest desire to please him and a holy watchfulness and fear that he might not sin against him. Did you hear it? Folks, um, if you want an even simpler definition of the fear of the Lord, this is the one that I would present to you. It's a kind of holy concern to know God's mind and to do God's will. The fear of the Lord is the characteristic of a man who's serious about his Christian walk. It's the mark of a genuine follower of Christ. That's what Paul means when he says to the Corinthians, uh, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, folks, both hands of parenting, discipline and instruction are needed to teach our children the fear of the Lord. But my point for now is it can't be done without discipline. Listen carefully. As parents faithfully and prayerfully administer discipline, correction to their children, their children can be led to something more than mere submission to authority. They can be led by God's grace to something even more than repentance for their sins one by one, They can be led into a way of living that is in love, concerned to be pleasing. 
to their parents, but ultimately to their heavenly Father. That's what is the sweet fruit of the fear of the Lord that comes by means of discipline. It's the disposition towards earthly parents in a well-disciplined child that becomes, by God's grace, a lifelong disposition towards himself. So that in this way, as well as so many other ways, our relationship with our earthly father can become a template for our relationship with the heavenly father. And here's the good news that I have for Christian parents in this respect. With God's blessing on your faithful discipline, folks, your children can come to have a heart to know your mind and to do your will as the ones God has appointed as their spiritual leaders. Their obedience can be something more than just avoiding the negative consequences of sin. And it can actually extend uh, to uh, that which you haven't even specifically spoken to uh, as they come to be concerned to know uh, your wisdom and your will for them. I, I say this because, folks, I see parents uh, so often settling for too little in their children. Uh, parents who are content with token obedience, even though it's complaining and half-hearted, uh, content with a lack of open defiance, even if there's plenty of body language of disrespect, content with children who don't make them angry, rather than with children who show a loving concern to do what pleases them. The fear of God in our children, in their relationship with us, well, it looks like a toddler who, before he or she picks that thing up off the table or walks out of the room, just does a quick look at mom or dad uh, to see if this is okay. As an example, uh, it looks like a little child telling uh, his or her friend, I need to ask my daddy first. You hear what's happening in that child? A concern to know daddy's will, to know what daddy would be pleased with. It looks eventually like a teenager who comes home one evening and says, well, uh, the plan was to do such and such, but I knew you wouldn't approve, Dad, so I didn't. Folks, those are the moments when you see the full fruit that loving and prayerful discipline can bring in the lives of your children. And folks, it is so sweet. It is so sweet to see emerging uh, in the children that you're seeking by God's grace to faithfully discipline uh, something that's more than just respect and obedience and all the rest. It's actually the fear of God uh, that he has implanted in their hearts through the means of your own faithful discipline. Why do we discipline our children? It's hard. It's unpleasant, both in ministering it and in receiving it. Why do we do it? Brothers and sisters, my fellow parents, we do it in order to see the sweet fruit, the lifelong sweet fruit of, of submission to authority, of deep understanding of sin and repentance, and the experience of the fear of the Lord. And those things... Uh, in our children's lives, those can't be found ordinarily apart from uh, the discipline of Jesus, 
And it makes that hard work of disciplined parents so worthwhile. Well, as I wrap up for today, I am aware that our society would not consider it a compliment to be called a good disciplinarian as parents. Uh, But I hope you can see from a biblical standpoint, this is basic to good parenting. It's vitally important for the well-being of our children. This is the ultimate issue. If you love your children, and if you believe the Bible, you'll be devoted to biblical discipline. Proverbs, which we will be returning to at great length next time, puts this most starkly. Chapter 19, verse 18, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Those are your alternatives. Discipline, there's hope in that. No discipline, and that way leads to death for your children. I'll just add on a little bit lighter note by way of conclusion, this practical observation about the importance of discipline. Folks, discipline in your home is vital just for your own enjoyment of your kids. I could say for your sanity as moms and dads. I place right here the failure to faithfully, consistently carry out discipline in the home. I place that as the the greatest cause of misery that I see in parents. If you want to enjoy your children, if you want to have a peace and order in your home, if you want your children to have the full benefit of your love and your parental delight in them, you must discipline them. I see this in the realm of teaching. Every teacher, I think, can vouch for this. If you want to enjoy your class, if you want to have a good year uh, in class, you've got to establish your authority at the outset. You've got to make clear the consequences of the infractions of the rules. You need, as some might say, you need to put the fear of God in those kids, as unpleasant as that might be. And then, uh, in the context of those standards and the enforcement of those standards, You can be free as a teacher to enjoy those crazy, wonderful kids. And parents, the same thing can be said for us. The happiest homes, the happiest parents, and yes, the happiest children are those who are lovingly, prayerfully, faithfully disciplined. That will suffice for today, talking about the goals, the ambitions we have as parents uh, in ministering discipline in our homes. And what we need to do next is turn to the methods of discipline and particularly the primary method of discipline that's called for by the scriptures. So next week, I'll tackle the subject that I'll entitle, The Strange Blessings of the rod. That's all for today, though, and I trust the Lord will, in all your ways, keep you in His grace. You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.